You're listening to a sermon from Pasco Vale Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Good morning, Pasco Vale. Warm welcome to everyone and uh, also for those who uh, can't join us and are listening online as well. Now, for the benefit of those who are new or wanting to find out what our church is about, we are continuing our series, starting our Statement of Faith. This is an opportunity for us to get a good understanding of our church's position on what we believe. As we do so, we want to do this in conjunction, of course, with God's Word as best as we understand it. So today, we'll be looking at baptism and communion. And thanks to Mario for giving us the communion message today and a very insightful words to reflect upon as well. Now, prior to COVID, it was... Uh, it was great to hear and see a couple of people being baptized in Pascoville Church of Christ. But sadly, our baptismal pool is not getting the work out that it should. It's also a serious reminder that despite the fact that we, there are so many people out there who do not know Jesus, very few are coming through our doors and professing Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. It's also a constant reminder of the work that is ahead of us to make a conscious effort to go out and reach out to those who have yet to come to know Jesus and to welcome them into God's family. You know, every week as we gather together and celebrate the Lord's Supper with a familiarity, it can be very easy for us to forget the importance of these things as well. It can be easy for us to reduce the act of communion to our weekly rituals or habits, and we just mindlessly engage it. But that should not be the way. In the emblems given to us as a church, we have two powerful physical and tangible reminders, symbols that point us to a great and glorious spiritual reality that every believer experiences in Christ. So here's our statement of faith on baptism and communion. The baptism of believers symbolizes their union with Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of thanksgiving and proclamation of the death of Jesus. Now let's work through the statement and may the Lord open our eyes and give us years to hear the precious realities of these emblems. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your scripture and we pray that every word that we speak and every reflection of our hearts be wholly accepted to you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now if a non-believer or stranger came to our church and saw us dunking people into water and clapping their hands as they stood up from the pool, they would probably be scratching their heads thinking, we go swimming all the time. Nobody claps for us when we come out of the pool. What on earth are they doing? It makes no sense. Also, if you hear that the communion was the partaking of the body of Christ and the juice Christ's blood, they will probably be thinking, oh gosh, just, I must have entered into a cult or something. None of this will make sense to an unbeliever. But to a believer, the baptism and communion 
has a very special and deeply personal message and meaning, doesn't it? Let's look first at baptism. As a church, we hold believers' baptism. That is, baptism is reserved for those who profess faith in Jesus. That means we don't baptize infants or those who don't have faith in Jesus. Even for those denominations that do practice infant baptism, later they require the child to confirm his or her faith when he or she is older or of legal age. In other words, it means that if you trust in Jesus, you should get baptized. How do we arrive at this? From the Bible, of course. The book of Acts gives us a number of accounts of baptisms, and they all have a common thread of belief before baptism. In most cases, baptism occurs almost immediately after belief in Jesus. So for those who are holding out on being baptized, you should really think about that. Here are some examples. In Acts chapter 2, verse 41, it says, So, this, so, so those who received these words were baptized. And further in Acts 8, verse 12, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news, they were baptized, both men and women. In Acts chapter 10, verse 44, As Peter is preaching the gospel to Cornelius' household, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And so Peter concludes in verses 47, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? Now what about household baptisms? In Acts chapter 16, there are also, comment, uh, there are also accounts of entire households getting baptized. It is here that some argue this includes children and infants as well. Have a look at Acts chapter 16, verse 32. Here the Philippian jailer and his household is baptized. But as before, it is connected with hearing the word. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Here, everyone is hearing the word. They believed. And then the entire house is baptized. Verse 34 says, And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. So friends, there is evidence that there was faith that preceded baptism. The account of Lydia's household, however, is the only occasion where household faith is not explicitly mentioned. In Acts chapter 16, verses 14 and 15 writes, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshipper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well. She urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to the house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So from these Acts passages, there's a strong pattern that baptism is for believers. Faith and baptisms are linked in passages like Colossians chapter 2, verse 12. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised from him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Again, 
This affirms that baptism is an expression of faith reserved for believers. Now, this is the crucial point of baptism. The act of baptism is not a magical ritual that saves you. The waters have no magical powers or to give salvation like the mythical fountain of youth. It's not something that just, you know, you touch it and something happens to you. Our salvation comes primarily in our faith in Jesus. Baptism is just an announcement, an announcement to the world that you have given your heart wholly and truly to Jesus and that you acknowledge Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Baptism is a symbol of your union with Christ in His death and His resurrection. So what does it mean to have union with Christ in His death and resurrection? Now when we put our faith in Jesus, we are united with Him. We are joined to Him. Now when I got married, my life was joined to my wife, Catherine. Everything that is mine is hers, and everything that is hers is hers. No, I'm sorry. Everything that is hers is mine. In a similar way, as we are united with Christ, we get the benefits of everything that He has done. We get from Him what He could not achieve on our own. What did we get from Christ? Do you know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus was also baptized into his death. Romans 6, verses 3 to 4, which just read, We were buried together with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. We deserve to die for our sins, for our rebellion, if we were to stand before the Holy God right now, if you were to stand before God right now, we should and we would all die. That's the reality. But only through faith in Jesus, only through faith in Jesus, the death on the cross counts as our death. It's a death to our old self, the self that was ruled by the sin and shame. The old self of unbelief, rebellion, and idolatry is buried, dead, together with Jesus Christ. And just as our old self died with Jesus <coughs> as we go under the water, snuffed of our breath as a symbol of death, we rise out of the water to new life, with Him breathing life anew. His death is ours by His resurrection has also become ours. We are no longer bound to sin and shame, no longer living in rebellion against God, but instead we inherit a new identity, a new love for Jesus, a new life joined with Jesus. This is what baptism symbolizes. Our friends, it's only a symbol it isn't water baptism that unites us to Christ. It's faith. Many use the analogy of marriage and wedding rings to explain baptism. A man and his wife are married as they exchange their vows and enter into covenant with one another. Rings are exchanged. 
but it's not the rings that make the marriage. The rings are only a symbol. If one partner loses his or her ring, it does not mean they are no longer married, are they? In a similar way, union with Christ in death and resurrection is the reality. But baptism is only a symbol. That's baptism for believers and a symbol of their union with Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. Now let us look at the Lord's Supper. It's a remembrance, thanksgiving, and proclamation of the death of Jesus. The Lord's Supper was given by Jesus on the night before he went to the cross. Now it is no coincidence that they were celebrating the Passover at the same time. The Passover was an annual Jewish meal where they will remember and, ask, and celebrate the exodus out of Egypt. It served as a yearly reminder that God, it was God that had delivered them out of slavery, not themselves. God's judgment came upon Egypt, and God's people were set free through the sacrifice of a lamb. Its blood painted upon that door frames. And as God's judgment came, it passed over every house with blood on the door. Friends, salvation was purchased and bought with blood. You notice the account, that the gospel account doesn't mention any lamb at this Jesus' Passover celebration. This is to highlight something new that God was going to be doing. There was no lamb because Jesus is the lamb. It's Jesus' blood that will be painted on that metaphorical door frames of every person who will put their trust in him. The Passover was always pointing forward to the coming of Christ. Once again, God will deliver his people. Not from slavery to Egypt or Rome, but from slavery to sin and death. As we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we look back and remember what Jesus has done for us. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Like the Passover, the Lord's Supper is a remembrance. As we celebrate together, we remember that what Christ has done for each and every one of us. Remember the cross where he hung crucified. Remember that God's judgment has only passed over us because of the blood poured out from Jesus upon that cross. Remember his willing sacrifice, his body given to us, his blood poured out for us. Here's what N.T. Wright says about remembering. 
That doesn't just mean remembering Jesus and his death. We do not simply recall the events of Calvary with our minds and hearts in faith and love and awe, though we should certainly do that every time we come to Jesus' table. It means that somehow, somehow Jesus is present, that this one of death is made contemporary with us. The unique past events rushes forward to accompany us on our journey. In the Lord's Supper, we recall what Jesus did. But more than that, in the Lord's Supper, we remember that we have communion with Christ in the here and now. It's a tangible invitation to participate in His life through His death. Just as food nourishes us as we take the wafer and the juice together, we remember that Christ presently nourishes our soul. So as you take communion, remember, remember that you came before God not because you have it all worked out, not because you have avoided sin this week. This table reminds us that we can come because of Jesus and Jesus alone. And we come not standing on the fringes of that meal or that banquet or that communion not on the periphery of His presence, but right there at His table with Christ and His people, like the main table we have at a wedding banquet. You're like the VIP. That's how privileged and how blessed we are. Every time you come to this table, remember as though it was the first time you heard that gospel invitation. Come, because his body has, was given for you. The blood was poured out for you. The Lord's Supper is a thanksgiving. As we remember what Jesus has done for us, we give thanks to him. We celebrate the new life we have in him. We celebrate the wonder of having our sins forgotten and forgiven. We celebrate the joy of being in relationship with God through Christ. We celebrate the joy of coming together as a family in Christ. In the early church, the Lord's Supper was slightly celebrated as a part of a feast. This makes sense because the Lord's Supper not only points us back to remember what Christ did for us on that cross, it also points us forward to that great banquet that awaits us. In heaven, there will be a celebration, a feast in the presence of God. Communion is only a foretaste of what that is going to be like. The Lord's Supper is a proclamation. In the Lord's Supper, we proclaim Jesus' death until He returns again. For as often as we eat the bread and drink the cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. What does that mean? At its most fundamental and basic level, every week as we take communion, we proclaim the gospel. We retell and recall the grace we have received from God. We recall the severity of our sin. So great that Jesus had to die on our behalf. And we recall the greatness 
the greatness of His love, that He would willingly die to save us. But we also proclaim His death. We do this by pledging our allegiance to Christ again, to live in light of all that He has done. To continue to crucify our flesh and to put to death what remains of our old nature and live this life, new life, we've been given His life in Christ. The baptism of believers symbolizes their union with Jesus Christ in His death and resurrection. The Lord's Supper is a remembrance of thanksgiving and proclamation of the death of Jesus. To conclude, what should our responses be from what we've heard today? Well, the first is probably kept baptized. If you have put your trust in Jesus, there is no reason that you shouldn't be baptized if you haven't already done so. If you haven't, do it. Get baptized. Share your testimony that brought you to Jesus and your journey. Bless those who have yet to go on that journey so that they have a taste of what it is like. Next, examine yourself. The Lord's Supper is a gift, a precious gift to us. Here we do it every week to remember, give thanks, and proclaim Jesus' death. But don't let familiarity become complacency or carelessness as we partake in communion. Paul warns in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. We can come to the communion table in an unworthy manner, and the consequences are serious. Or well, verse thirteen twenty nine says, "For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon themselves." Friends, you can eat and drink judgment on yourself if you take communion in an unworthy manner. Verse 30 writes, That is why many of you are weak and ill, or, have, or some have died. But if we judge ourselves truly, we would not be judged. Now Paul says some are sick and have died because of this. I'm not sure what Paul meant exactly, but whatever he is saying, we need to take note. Taking communion is a serious matter. We must take care to take communion in a worthy manner. Therefore, it is very important for adults to explain the significance of communion to younger children and perhaps their new believers even or visitors before they take that communion. In verse 28 it says, Let a person examine himself then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. As we reflect upon the message together, let us do some soul searching, coming before God and asking, is there sin I need to confess? Am I coming before Him, trusting Him, trusting in the gospel? Am I right with God? 
Am I coming before the table in a worthy manner? These are important things, good things that we need to ask ourselves. It is important that we reflect on this the next time we come to the table. But in the context of this chapter, Paul is also addressing something very specific when he asks us to examine ourselves. It's all about disunity. It's the way we treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now in Corinth, there was disunity, selfishness. As they came together for communion, some were eating first, some were getting drunk and leaving nothing for others. In doing so, they were despising the church of God. What Paul is saying is this, you cannot say that you have communion with God while being broken communion with the church and with one another. You cannot remember Christ and His sacrificial love for us while selfishly looking out for yourself only and neglecting the rest. This is what we should examine ourselves, within ourselves. Every time we take communion. Do not take communion if your life does not bear the fruit of the same sacrificial love of Christ towards your brothers and sisters, my friends. Communion with God is inseparable from communion with one another. Last but not least, anticipate the future feast. Communion points us towards the great heavenly banquet that is coming. The party, the party that Jesus is preparing for his people. That's what awaits us. That's what's in front of us. But now in the meantime, let's bring a foretaste, a taste of what that future party is like to celebrate with one another. Enjoy communion with God and with one another. That is what church lunch and morning teas are for. It's not about getting your free sausage snack or, or free coffee or tea hit. It's all about celebrating Jesus, breaking bread together, and practicing what we will do all around the throne of heaven for all of eternity. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two special gifts given to us by the Lord. Symbols, reminders of the precious reality that we are His, united in Him, blessed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we just thank you. Thank you for communion. Thank you for baptism. We thank you that you died on that cross for our sins. That every time we come to before your table, we're not on the periphery, we're not on the edges, but we are right there with you. What a blessing it is. What a privilege it is. Forgive us, Lord, if we approach the table in an unworthy manner. Forgive us, Lord, for the times that we've let communion or the act of baptism become just an act or ritual. It is not. Help us to remember 
the significance of the emblems that we partake. Help us remember the reason why we, commun we do communion and the reason why we should be baptized. Lord, we pray that you speak to every soul in this room and convict our hearts where we have done wrong. Forgive us, Lord, for we know we are not worthy. But because of your love, because of your grace and your mercy, we are your children and we are your church. And we thank you for that blessing. Bless each and every soul today as we leave from this room. Remember that our communion with you is not just on Sunday at a church service. It's a relationship with you. And relationships cannot be built when we only meet once a week. Relationship is built as we walk with one another through life. So help us, Lord, to be in communion with you, but also in communion with our brothers and sisters in Christ. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen.